0: Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise course.
1: It's a dime
0: You're fraternizing with the enemy.
1: There's the, um, the
0: Cruciatus curse. we we'll we celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and we have Elizabeth back with us.
0: Hi everyone!
1: We are going over Chapter 10, Mayhem at the Ministry. Uh, but before we get into the chapter, um, I wanted to just have a brief announcement that we've gone back and upgraded our book 1 sounds, uh, sorcerer's stones sounds.
0: You didn't even need to use a time turner for that.
1: I didn't even need to use a time <laughs> turner. No, we uh we upgraded the intro and our break sound. So what we've done for chat for books 2, 3 and 4, we went back and we did for book 1. I so the movie quotes? With movie quotes with actual sound from the movies to kind of match up with some of the book quotes. Fun. As best as we could. So if you go back uh, and I know it's hard if you've been listening on Spotify for example, It'd be hard to go back and listen to those on Spotify and get the change unless you like re-download the episode or something like that. So if you're curious and you want to actually hear it, uh, maybe go to Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. So check those out. Um, I really, really like it. It's kind of a I almost, like it too. It's uh, it's kind of a tribute almost to some of the characters that have uh, unfortunately passed. Yeah, we have, it's uh,
0: nice hearing their voices again.
1: We have Richard Harris on it. We have Alan Rickman and we have Robbie Coltrane on it. Uh, so. Check out that intro if you get a chance. Uh, We also had two polls that we ran on our Twitter recently. We've seen Cedric Diggory already in Prisoner of Azkaban. We've seen him again already going to the Quidditch World Cup in this book. But my question was, we've had some disagreements between me and Julie specifically Hmm. about Cedric. And is he a good character? Is he a bad character? Or Not even a bad character, but overrated. Is he an overrated character? Right. And we put it to the people on Twitter. What'd they say? Uh, Cedric Diggory is a credit to his house, or a hero of his house, Mm -hmm. Hufflepuff, 55%. Overrated, 45%.
0: That's a lot closer than I thought it'd be.
1: It's insanely closer than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. And we can kind of break that down a little bit more in a spoiler section or as we get later on in this book, but... Yeah, it was much closer than I thought. It was definitely a surprise to me. (laughs) Uh, But we can kind of get into why that might be going forward here. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other poll that we ran was favorite mode of magical transportation. This was some interesting results. So we had broomer animal. Right. 15%.
0: Which, I mean, isn't surprising because you get up high up in the sky are going to be cold and the animals have their minds of their own. Well, there's
1: a lot of, it's a broad category because...
0: They're not predictable.
1: We have a very narrow-minded view of what a broom is. Mm -hmm. And I I say that, we can get into that again later. Also, animals are a broad spectrum. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of different animals, some maybe more comfortable ride than others. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's a broad broad category. But anyway, got 15% of the vote. Apparition, 69% of the vote. Uh, Port Key, 15% of the vote. And Flu Powder, 0%. Not one person (laughs) voted for Flu Powder as their mode of transportation in the magical (laughs) world. Um, I get the Apparition. Uh, Like what Julie and I talked about uh, a couple chapters ago was it's just easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the most part, you... Pop out, pop out of existence, pop in existence somewhere else immediately. It's instantaneous. Right. Uh, and it, it has a wide range on it. Mm-hmm. I get that. Uh, porky can be a little violent. If you're not used to it, it can be a little disorienting. Broom and animal we just talked about. And flu powder, no one likes it. I, and to Julie's point... Of the, uh, we can't wear anything nice because you're essentially yeah, going to be covered. Yeah, you're going to like a
0: campfire for the rest of the day and be yeah. covered in ash.
1: Going in and out of fireplaces is maybe not the most desired. Understandable. But Apparition, let me just throw out the whole, we, we talked about before, the idea of splinching. Mm-hmm. That's a big price to pay if you don't get this exactly right.
0: Yeah, splinching is actually why I decided to go with Porky. Because while I do love the idea of just immediately popping up where I want to be and saving time that way, I definitely fear, like, you know, my concentration not being 100% and losing a limb and bleeding out kind of seems like a big risk for me. So I think I'd rather just go with a port key.
1: I imagine for those that are used to doing apparition, it's generally not... Considered a dangerous form of travel. Yeah,
0: like I'm sure it gets to be second nature, same way like driving is. But that said, it's not like there's no dangers to driving no matter how long you've driven. Well, I
1: like, assume if you're doing it in a rushed, hurried mindset. Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't exactly hit every principle of the training that mm-hmm. you know, you're know you taught. Maybe that's when the splinching occurs. But um, Seems
0: like a big risk. I thought
1: people would be a little bit more... Swaying away from apparition due to that, but it didn't seem like it seemed to sway anybody away. So, <laughs> yeah. So again, favorite mo- mode of magical transportation: broom, animal, fifteen percent apparition, sixty-nine port key, fifteen flu powder, big old goose egg, zero percent. <laughs> Moving on to the actual chapter, uh, mayhem at the Ministry. It's pretty self-explanatory what this chapter is about. Uh, we get back to the Burrow, uh, and Molly is relieved. At mm-hmm. all of her family and Harry and Hermione getting home safely, but we kind of get the the breakdown of all the fallout from uh, the event of the Quidditch World Cup and all oh. that excess stuff. Yeah, I mean, in the seeing woods. the
0: Dark Mark up in the sky, I just imagine the international like response to that. I mean, there's been there's so many nations that attended the Quidditch World Cup, and for all of them to go back to their home countries and be like we saw this in, you know, in England. And it's like, oh, okay. Let, I, I imagine the ministry has a lot to answer for right now.
1: The Daily Prophet put out uh, a couple of articles, I assume. But the front page was the dark mark. Mm-hmm. And obviously Molly's reading it. She's clearly read through it several times. Mm-hmm. Just to make sure all of her family members are safe, considering two of them work for the ministry now. Right. And you just get this... Sense that this news is trickling down, Arthur wants to read the Daily Prophet immediately to see what their take on the events were, Mm -hmm. which we can get into a little bit later in the spoiler section. Percy and Arthur reading through the article, it's Molly being very thankful that everybody's okay, and then... Especially the twins. Especially the twins. They have a moment there at the beginning, Mm -hmm. uh, which we can talk about, but... uh, And then you have the three, uh, essentially... Ron, Hermione, and Harry taking part in what they always do, which is Harry then going into an explanation of some other things going on Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, with his scar hurting and and the such. Uh, His first question to Molly is, like, did my owl come back? Did Hedwig come back? Right. Which takes her back as, like, not exactly the highest priority at the moment, but (laughs) um, which Ron and Hermione thought was an odd question as well.
0: I just love their whole, like, let's not, like, very... Nonchalantly sneak away so that we can get all the information from Harry. Like, like, how do you not notice the three of them sneaking off anywhere? That's all they do.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah, but if you're adults,
0: you're not paying you, attention to that. Yeah. You have
1: adult concerns which are very real. This <laughs> at, is at funny this to moment. me. It's
0: like they're notorious for doing this, and here they go again.
1: Let them go and and gossip while, you know, Percy, Arthur, Molly, Bill, and Charlie figure out like. Mm. the real world implications of this and try to figure it out.
0: Yeah, because for them, seeing the dark mark is like, this means something. For them, for the, the trio, it's a symbol in the sky. Well, for
1: Arthur and Molly specifically, who lived through the first time uh, Valdi came to prominence, Right. for them, this is a real... real thing right um and we talked a little bit about that before with molly's specific history about it Mm -hmm. um so yeah it it hits it hits them a different way Mm -hmm. that even charlie and bill are a little too young to really fully grasp they just understand the gravity of it yeah so to your point uh molly embraces the twins specifically after they're kind of I don't want to say fallout, but uh, their disagreement that they had as they left for the Quidditch World Cup.
0: Which, I mean, Harry said everyone thought was weird, including the twins, but, I mean, to me it makes perfect sense. If you got into an argument with someone and that's the last thing that you said to them before they died, of course you're going to feel that guilt. So, of course she's, like, overjoyed to see the twins are okay and that won't be the final thing that she ever says to them.
1: Yeah, I think it's some of their children's naivety a little bit of mm. just like why is it such a big deal she immediately goes back to what arthur was telling them in the campsite when you saw that mark you knew what happened right and it was never good well because
0: it's never been shot up in the sky with out of body there right. right like it, it it's it usually it means it's a sign there's something there yeah. yeah so of course you're going to be terrified out of your wits
1: so, uh, yeah, it's totally understandable for her to have that kind of reaction. I did like the description of their heads literally bonking together because yeah. uh, she grasped them both in a big hug. Hmm. Uh, she wrapped her arms around Arthur really quick. I like how they, just in their rush to get out of the campsite, because that's where this whole chapter starts, is them trying to actually leave the campsite. Right. Basil actually got them an older overtire tire to go back to Stoatshead Hill, okay. which I honestly didn't remember that Stoteshead Hill was the name of the hill. In that same note, Mr. Roberts seemed dazed as they were leaving. Yeah. But overall, all things considered, okay, Mm -hmm. after his ordeal.
0: He said, Merry Christmas.
1: (laughs) I... Aside from him being tortured Mm -hmm. uh, by Death Eaters at the Quidditch World Cup, Mm -hmm. cut out that whole ordeal. Already, he's been having his memory modified, like, every 10 minutes. Right. I imagine there's a toll that takes. And then you have to... The impression here is that quite a lot was done for him to forget that that had happened, Mm -hmm. that whole ordeal. I imagine it's gonna be a good minute for him to, like, get back to normal...
0: I also wonder if, even if a memory is modified if the memory can pop back up in your dreams, if it's a thing where it's like, you know, it, it's like your
1: subconscious kind of. Yeah. Thing.
0: Cause I mean, that was a trauma that he went through. And if he has dreams of, you know, being floating in the sky, turned around with his family and, and feeling fear and, and, uh, you know, the the threat of death and, and being jeered at and stuff like maybe his awaking mind would be like, That was a weird dream, but his subconscious might remember, like, yeah, that you experienced that. I just wonder if that's the thing that has happened with modified memories or not.
1: Maybe. I'm not sure how deep those memory charms really sink in or to what level they have to do them, depending on what event took place. They have to then modify.
0: I don't even know if they would, they know.
1: I I would assume if your literal job title is Obliviator, you would have some knowledge.
0: But I also wonder if they've ever been Obliviated, you know?
1: I would assume it's one of those things, like...
0: Just to get this feel of it?
1: Yeah, you'd have to learn it. Like, I know this is vastly different, but in my profession, like, when you ice someone for Mm -hmm. an injury, or if you're heating someone for an injury... You have to know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. So we'd have athletes go into an ice bath mm. after practice. Well, you've got to know what that feels like so you can adequately explain to the athlete, here's what you're going to feel. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I'm assuming part of their... We've talked about advanced education before of you finish your seven years at Hogwarts. And then I'm assuming if you're an obliviator, you go through an extra level of training to get really, really good at it.
0: It just reminds me of Men in Black, with the whole little like sure. look at the pen and flash, and then do you know if you've ever been flashed before? What if they've taken that from your memory? <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It'd just be interesting if it did pop up in his brain, because he was very, very disoriented.
1: Going back to the Burrow now, we have uh, Percy and Arthur reading through the Prophet and... Arthur notes right away that who the author of this article is.
0: Rita Skeeter.
1: Rita Skeeter. (laughs) And he feels a certain kind of way uh, about what this article might pertain to.
0: I feel so bad for Arthur because, I mean, he's really in a lose-lose situation here. Like, if if he hadn't said anything then Rito definitely would have commented on how it's such a shame that no one from the ministry commented when there's clearly a symbol of death literally in the sky. Everyone's scared. They should comment. But he's like, because I commented, she twisted it to be like, you know, the rumors of the dead bodies were not clarified. Like, you can't win with this woman, apparently. And this is just her reputation so far.
1: Well, the idea, the whole idea there is, there weren't rumors of dead bodies right, being carted out of the woods. She made it up right then and there when she wrote it. Right. Which are their comments on? It's like, well, now there will be. Right like, there, there weren't going to be anyway. But which now is why there... I feel so
0: bad. He's in a lose situation. There's, there's literally nothing he could have said that would have been okay for the media.
1: No, because she's literally making it up as as she goes, which um, is
0: horrible journalistic ethics.
1: Percy is not helping the situation Uh, He's bringing up his cauldron report Which (laughs) I'm like Read the room a little bit No one cares (laughs) Like there's bigger things here Than your cauldron report
0: Yeah but it's such an important
1: Cauldron report (laughs) He also brings up these guidelines um, Which I believe were in response To the actual Quidditch World Cup And He literally cites like paragraph 12 of the guidelines, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, who, who? Like, let's be real for a second. Who has read anything well enough to be like, paragraph 12? Not 11, not 13. What in the world would you read well enough or more times to know that it's paragraph 12 specifically?
0: Mr. Crouch would have.
1: Yeah, but he's got a freakishly good memory. The only way it would work for me is if literally the paragraphs were titled paragraph, paragraph one, one paragraph two paragraph and they had distinctly different things in each paragraph i mean
0: if anything it just shows that his way of studying and becoming head boy has continued on into his adult life he will study the crap out of the text in order to seem impressive to everybody else it's it's his gift
1: i, don't know, I just this whole chapter i'm like okay the anti-percy stuff that we've kind of commented on before. Mm. I feel like this is really when it starts to hit. Because you start to get a little annoyed by Percy. <laughs> well, it's the self-importance. It's yeah. this like, that he's trying to boost constantly. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, he wants to draw attention
1: to himself. Arthur goes back to the ministry. Because you know, even though he's on holiday and he has some time off. He's like, this is a big problem. We're going to have to deal with this. All hands on deck. All hands on deck kind of thing and percy just has this comment about how well it's his own fault because he shouldn't have said anything without a superior uh to clear
0: him yeah Yeah. to to
1: clear his statement or whatever here's my problem with that well i have several problems with (laughs) it um number one he had to make a comment because there was no superior there to make a comment which is a fault on the superiors there Mm. crouch needs to make a comment Ludo Bagman, as eccentric as he is, needs to make a comment because he's the head of the games that are being run at the moment. Right. Or, you know who's a really clear choice to make a comment? How about the actual Minister of Magic, who's somehow a no-show throughout like all of this? One of those three people should be making a comment. It shouldn't be left to Arthur to have to say anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I disagree on premise there. And then I, I get Percy's criticisms of maybe... Ludo Bagman at different points and i get the idea of his fawning over superiors and trying to climb that corporate ladder as quickly as he possibly can i understand that ambitious side of him but this is your dad it's like you should be on his side first your father's been in the ministry of magic for a long time he's the head of his own department And I get that it's a lesser valued department, but he's still a head of a department. And he's clearly still thought of highly amongst ministry officials. Yeah. Because they come to him for advice. They talk to him. They include him on things often.
0: I get the impression it's like he's sought out when it's needed, but when he's not, it's like, (laughs) what a joke department.
1: He's dismissed quite often
0: yeah because he's not an impressive man although he should be considered one based on his morals and what he's done with his family and how he hasn't gone into the whole like pure blood prejudice but there's a lot of prejudice in the ministry and they don't think highly of someone who appreciates rubber ducks
1: well h- him and percy are different on fundamental levels and that arthur is not inherently I don't want to say an ambitious man. He he has goals and he has ambitions, obviously.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But him and Percy differ in how to pursue those ambitions. Right. Uh, and you see that here a little bit with... It, it's not said, but Percy seems to look down on his dad for not being able to get to a better station.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not really accounting for the fact that Arthur's happy where he is. Like, he's in the perfect department for himself.
0: He's judging him as, you could be better than where you are. Why aren't you? And it's just like, well, you know, he's a family man. He's not necessarily putting work as his top priority, which I think being a young person and coming from a very poor family and you want to improve yourself, wanting to have money, it makes sense that Percy does want to be the best he can be at his job.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not loving... Percy here is the first time that it's really hit. I get he's been kind of pompous and a uh, stickler for the rules or whatever have you in previous books as, you know, prefect and head boy and all that good stuff. I get that. But that's just him being, you know, a uh, little bit of a jerk. Hmm. Here, it's, it's different because you're now taking shots at your own family and siding with people who you really only met like months ago uh, in this profession. So it just hits me a little differently in this particular chapter where I start to get uh, a little bit more irritated Mm at Percy.
0: I do like how he mentioned Mundungus Fletcher with saying how he knew for a fact that Mundungus was sleeping under a cloak propped on sticks. When he's talking about, like, all the people yeah, putting in it, claims it, for their destroyed property. It's stuff. because
1: Mundungus put in a, a claim for a 12-bedroom tent with a jacuzzi. <laughs> That's why.
0: Mundungus probably has never seen a 12-bedroom tent with a jacuzzi. <laughs> he also
1: mentions that they're getting in epic amount of howlers being sent to the ministry, mm-hmm. which I can imagine being, like, the most chaotic thing possible.
0: Oh, 100%. Especially if they're all going off at once. Like, how are you supposed to get any work done? Well, with
1: however many departments are in play here, I'm sure that there's at least several that are going off at the same time.
0: Yeah. I mean, just imagine, like, if you're someone sending a howler, obviously you're wanting a quick response, and you're wanting to to get your voice heard and complaints. But if you imagine, like, just working in that kind of environment where everyone's yelling at you, and there's several voices yelling at once, and there's just total chaos of trying to answer, like owls coming from international countries and just everywhere like of course everyone is needed at the ministry right now that's why this title is mayhem at the ministry i
1: i don't want to get political here uh <laughs> but i will say could you imagine if we could send howlers to our government
0: oh my god
1: <laughs> could you imagine
0: <laughs> they would run out of howlers to <laughs> say it.
1: we'd have a paper shortage oh suddenly. my god
0: i suppose that like Real world version would be voicemails if you just sent yelling voicemails, but gotta be careful with what you say in that howler. Then, do you think there's like, do you think they follow through on any death threats that they get in howlers the way they do with like real politics? You know, like you can't threaten like a politician, you get investigated and stuff.
1: I don't know how many auras or or
0: like the regular police wizards
1: yeah i don't know how many of those they have on yeah to actually investigate such things
0: yeah i suppose with the howler there is the idea of like maybe there's some kind of magical trace you could do of like where did it come from and you do get the voice too but then it also disintegrates so what proof do you have after it's gone you know can't dust it for fingerprints or anything like that i don't know
1: but i was just thinking about like wow (laughs) We could send howlers to our elected officials. That'd be, <laughs> be interesting. That,
0: that alone would make me not want to be a politician. I already Please know, right? Please don't send me howlers.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, anyway, moving on. Um, so, yeah. So, while the trio is talking, let's move to the trio for just a second. Mm-hmm. The, the trio has their own side conversation going on. Mm-hmm. And... Harry informs them of the scar hurting and the dream, and then predictably they both freak out a little bit.
0: So they found your least favorite chapter slightly more interesting than you did? No. <laughs>
1: I'm not saying that. Uh, the, first of all, them talking about the scar is much more interesting than the scar <laughs> chapter itself. Um, but anyway. I do
0: like how they reacted the exact way he thought they would. He
1: knows It's predictable. Well. It's a predictable reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially considering the last time this happened, it was because... Voldy was literally in the same building Mm -hmm. that Harry was. So obviously they have questions. Mm -hmm. And then there's a Trelawney mention, speaking of chapters and things that I've said (laughs) on this podcast. There's a Trelawney mention, which Hermione immediately scoffs at. Yeah. But Harry checks her. He does. Harry checks her and puts her in place. It's like, no, 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 no. You you weren't there.
0: Yeah. She made a real prediction.
1: There's a discernible difference in the stuff you're taking issue with and what happened when I was there. Mm -hmm. So, um... Good for Harry, checking, checking Hermione. <laughs> um, Speaking
0: of Hermione, I so much identify with her at the end of that little segment where, you know, Ron's like, do you want to play Quidditch? And she's like, Ron, Harry just went through something very traumatic. We're all very tired. Clearly, we should just go to bed. And He's like, oh, no, yeah, I'll play Quidditch. She's like, oh, boys. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> totally get it.
1: I identify with that because it's an escape from your problems. Mm. It's not compounding <laughs> your problems. Whereas it's
0: I will escape. never pass up on sleep. <laughs>
1: so. I get that too, but it's for them, especially for Harry. I mean, when he feels happy and unencumbered is right. when he's on a broom flying.
0: I just always love it when it's like the boys versus girls. Thing.
1: And, and let's be real. Hermione, he just told you about his scar hurting after a nightmare and you want him to go to sleep. Let the kid play and have fun. <laughs> Let the kid play and have fun.
0: They had a long night. Why wouldn't you want to sleep?
1: <laughs> because
0: this 100% is, I'm Hermione, you're like Ron and Harry right now. Just yep. boys.
1: <laughs> Let them have fun. That's mm. all good. Mrs. Weasley then interjects in this uh, little um, conversation. And they're putting away their things that she bought them at Diagon Alley, like their books, their clothes, anything that they needed, supplies. Right, they
0: got to pack up to get back to Hogwarts.
1: And they come across these robes that are unfamiliar to them. (laughs) This is such a nice way of putting it. (laughs) And Ron... I think
0: by unfamiliar you mean ugly. Not necessarily.
1: So they say Ron's is particularly...
0: Ugly. (laughs) Not great. (laughs) <laughs>
1: but for all intents and purposes, they say Harry's is not bad.
0: Well, yeah. Harry's is just green and it looks like a regular robe, which i
1: never envisioned before. Also, they, they said bottle green. Yeah. Which I'm making me think of like, like literally a glass bottle.
0: Yeah. Like that nice shade of, of green. Is it nice?
1: I'm not sure that it is nice. I feel like it is. Much better than Ron's robes.
0: Yeah. His is moldy looking with a lace frill at the collar, matching lace cuffs and it's maroon velvet. Which we know from previous books, he hates maroon, right? He always gets the maroon sweater, hates maroon. And here you are with maroon dress robes that look like a dress. He's not a fan.
1: No, he's he's not. And he has some choice words, which Molly then hears. <laughs> and uh, they argue about the dress robes exactly. Mm-hmm. And then she has this quote where she's like, fine, go naked. Harry, make sure you get a picture of him. Goodness knows I could do with a laugh.
0: Right. Which you have a problem with. What does it mean?
1: <laughs> Goodness knows I could do with a laugh.
0: I think that she is just sick of a sassy son who is not showing her respect for what she just did for him. Knowing the financial restraints that she's under. And she's like, you know what? Fine. Go naked. Harry, take a picture. It'll make me laugh. My son will be embarrassed. And you know what? I'm going to enjoy it.
1: I can buy the embarrassment thing <laughs> of him being embarrassed had he should choose to go naked. And I get that embarrassment. I get that. But the way I read this the first time through, is she taking a shot at Ron here of like...
0: His body? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like,
1: what did I just read?
0: No, I didn't read it like that at all.
1: <laughs> I, sw- I swear, this is a f- the the first read, I'm like, is she just making fun of her son? <laughs> And his like string bean body, like all of a sudden, (laughs) like, whoa, Molly, harsh. No,
0: (laughs) I definitely read it as a, like, you know what, you are stressing me out, and I just do so much for you. So if you don't appreciate me, fine, go naked, I'll enjoy it.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I, you guys can all make your own opinions, but when I read Go Naked, Harry, make sure you get a picture of him. Goodness knows, I could do it with the laugh. I'm sorry. Do you not think that she's taking a shot at Ron here? No, I don't.
0: Saying. I don't think. That I'm at saying all.
1: I will give you this. It would be weird. It would be a <laughs> non Molly thing to do. It just it seems like a.
0: I think she is disconnect. just very stressed because of everything that just happened, and the fear of everyone being, you know, dead, and
1: she's ashamed because she knows she couldn't afford what she ended up getting for Harry, right? Which I'll get to that in a second, too. but she So she's a little bit ashamed here, and I think there's a little venom coming back from her. Oh, 100%. So I, I said that she bought nicer robes for Harry. Mm-hmm. That comes from her actually getting gold from Harry's vault. Right. And using that to buy him his supplies.
0: And I guess Hermione, too, right? Didn't she pick up books for her? I'm assuming so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she just bought their school list, pretty much.
1: Yeah, so I get her having, like, control of Ron's... And Ginny's vaults, obviously, because she's literally their parental guardian.
0: And do they have individual vaults? it just the Weasley vault,
1: right? Sure. Sure. Well, I'm sure because they're just a family. Right. It's under Molly and Arthur's until... Right. Like, I don't know. I'm sure Charlie and Bill might have their own vaults. Percy might have his own vault at this time. Or is yeah, it just I would guess that adults, in...
0: maybe you, like, go off and purchase your own vault.
1: I'd assume when you are of age and you have your own financial income. Mm-hmm you get your own. I can't imagine, like, it's Molly and Arthur, because then they can go beyond that. Right. So is it just the Weasley vault dating back to whenever, like, years upon years upon years, generations upon generations? Or do they all get their own vaults at some point? I don't know. It just
0: depends on the family.
1: That's a side. I didn't even mean to go that route. (laughs) My point was, uh, we don't know specifically that Harry gave over a key
0: when he went the very, very first time with Hagrid, the I mean Grip Hook was just like, Do you have the key? Here it is. Okay, cool. Let's go. Like, I think that is their identification.
1: I'd imagine they're like, Oh, you want to get into Harry Potter's vault? Who are you? <laughs> like, you know what I mean?
0: I think the Weasleys are just well known enough, and their connection with Harry is well known enough that no one's gonna question it. Molly's not the kind of person who's gonna steal. I would
1: imagine goblins would question everything about gold
0: but then also at the same point like they don't care if a wizard gets stolen from because it's a wizard you know
1: oh i think they take their jobs very seriously
0: <laughs> i think they take it seriously when it's stolen from them specifically well, they they
1: are that's what the whole bank is is you're stealing from them it might not be their specific gold in the vaults but you're stealing from their vaults yeah that's a knock on them
0: i guess but, I think know. she just had the key, and it's like, okay, cool. There's one other thing that I wanted yeah. to mention, and that is the Weasley clock, which is another aspect of the Weasley household that I just find fascinating, because we have all the different faces on the many different hands, and the options of they're at home or school, hospital, prison, work, traveling, lost, or mortal peril, which is fascinating to me. And, I mean, like, some of those options are really terrifying. Um I wonder in the Chamber of Secrets, like, where were all of the kids' faces? Like, was Ginny, when she was in the Chamber of Secrets, well, did it just say school, or did it say moral, mortal peril, or did it say lost? And what happens to a clock hand if someone does die? Like, does it fall off the clock, or, you know, does it stay in mortal peril for eternity because they're dead?
1: I'd I assume in that case it would just get... Like, erased from the clock.
0: That's so sad. I don't
1: know. I I was going to say something, that's more spoilery. But I would imagine in Ginny's case, in Chamber of Secrets, I would imagine it just would have went to mortal peril. Mm-hmm. Like, school to mortal peril.
0: I was just putting myself in Molly's shoes, like, knowing how much she freaked out about the kids here. Like, can you imagine just being in your kitchen, doing whatever, you turn, you look at the clock, and it's like, your child is in mortal peril right now.
1: When you think she's at school. Yeah. In a safe spot.
0: That's terrifying. I also wonder if it was, like, I mean, I know they alerted parents about, like, everything going on with the school
1: and, you know. Well, that's why I think she ends up in the office at the end of Chamber of Secrets. Right. Is I think when it did hit mortal peril, she probably contacted school or maybe...
0: I mean, they knew Ginny was the one who was taken down... So maybe they contacted her, contacted her first, but maybe she was already aware of it. So maybe it was Owl's like... Either way, I,
1: I'm sure one way or the other, they're like, okay, you need to come here. Yeah. What have you. I it's think. just an
0: interesting concept to me of, you know, I mean, especially like with traveling. Like traveling is so quick for a Wizard it, for some of these cases, like our, our poll said. So, you know, when... when Arthur's coming home. He goes from work to, like, five seconds of traveling, and then, oh, he's home. It's just such an interesting way of keeping track of people.
1: Yeah, I like the clock a lot. I think it, if it's one of the magical objects I think that would be cool to have mm-hmm. in, in real life. It's a little stalkery. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's it, a little it, stalkery. It's the
0: same as, like, with Snapchat. If you had your location on, like, you can see where everybody is at all times. I guess social media or like in a, general, find too. find a friend. Isn't
1: that, like, a phone app, too, that you can have? Yeah, like or, like, no... if you're
0: a parent, I know you can stalk your kids' phones and know where they are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a very Black Mirror-ish episode kind of a thing.
1: No, it's, it's a cool item, especially for Molly and Arthur to have, since their family is so vast. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good way to keep track of everybody quickly. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, but I could also be... Uh, I could also understand being a little bit paranoid with it, too, Mm -hmm. of if someone is in mortal peril or something's Mm -hmm. going on in the magical world and you're not seeing them traveling or home, Mm -hmm. you'd be worried and you'd be checking the clock, like, every second, like I'm sure Molly was.
0: Yeah. Also, one other tiny, tiny little thing. Uh, We said how they mentioned Rita Skeeter. We said how they mentioned Mundungus. They also mentioned Bertha again. It's just a shame that hearing her name doesn't spark... You know, chapter one in Harry's brain of oh yeah, that was a name that was discussed in the dream, Bertha. Right, Voldemort was talking about her.
1: He just yeah, he completely goes
0: over it, which is understandable. He just went through a lot, and he's distracted. He's worried about you know.
1: So do you do you not think that name came up in his scar conversation with Hermione and Ron? We don't hear it, obviously. I
0: don't think he remembers it. I don't think he
1: he didn't remember that particular detail.
0: No. I don't think so. Just kind of
1: glosses over that?
0: Well, he didn't remember it immediately after the dream, so I'm assuming hearing the name again is just its a lost fact.
1: Clearly, it's an unimportant detail. <laughs> Cl- clearly, Bertha is just an overrated part of this entire book. Am I, I right, mean, Anna? J-K. Anna, am I right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and with that, we go to spoilers.
1: <laughs> with that, we go to spoilers. <laughs> Anna will get her two cents in on birth at some point. But tis not today, so we will mm. go to spoilers. We'll be right back.
0: Kill the of All
1: right, so we are back with the spoiler section of Chapter 10, Mayhem at the Ministry, and we had a lot of mayhem uh, with Arthur running back and forth all the time, with Percy kind of injecting his two cents about cauldrons and otherwise. Hmm. And the person that really stirred up a lot of that mayhem...
0: Well, creating her own mayhem
1: is Rita and her article in the daily Prophet. So, uh, she obviously got under Arthur's skin real quick, uh, <laughs> with fabricating some rumors and, and, and the such.
0: I found it interesting. She's not like, this isn't the first time she's attacked the Weasleys. Right. Charlie said, or not, Charlie? Bill said how like she called him like having long haired, uh,
1: she attacked Bill and his appearance once before, uh, he says, you know, it's not one thing; it's another with Rita Skeeter. Right. So you you can't win. So it's pointless in having this kind of back and forth in the media.
0: Right. You
1: just kind of have to get on top of things as fast as you can, which is what they're trying to do. You get the Bertha Jorkins comment about like, thankfully she doesn't know about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a real problem. <laughs> uh, things like things like that. Rita, obviously, this isn't the. Last time we'll hear from her in this book. It's not the last time <laughs> we'll hear from her in the series. All right. Uh, she pops up a little bit throughout. Uh, causing, causing the same level of consternation in most of our characters.
0: I want to know how she attended the match. Because I feel like she had to have gone as a beetle. It's a cheaper option for her. She can get closer up in the top box if she wanted to. She can, you know, sneak around on important officials and just, you know, follow, follow the crowd, follow the scene, get all the gossip. There's um, a lot of gossip at that that Quidditch Cup.
1: Sure, a lot of people are talking. A lot of people are intoxicated and, <laughs> and talking. <laughs> but uh, I, I mm. think she got to the Quidditch World Cup with like an ordinary press credential. Mm. Um, just got there because she was a writer for the Prophet. Mm. So I think that's how she got there. Then to your point about her advantageous animagus form. Um, <laughs> she probably got into places that she was not allowed to get into.
0: I tried looking back at the description of when they found the dark mark to see if there was any mention of, you know, a beetle as there has been many it's times. It's going to be hard after. to notice in a There board. isn't anything <laughs> like... there, so it isn't one of those cases where JK just like just drops a little little tiny tidbit but obviously we know later on she does with like you know when harry is very distracted by the beetle in the bush while Hagrid's going on about his family and you know hermione you have a beetle in your hair like all that fun stuff
1: the only thing is i think if rita is there to witness something firsthand Mm -hmm. she'll write about it she's Mm -hmm. not gonna hide it so if she was there in for example if she was there in the clearing She's writing that it's Barty Crouch's house elf was found with a one Like, she's right putting that on Front Street. Right. So that's how I know she wasn't there, because it'd be in the prophet.
0: <laughs> so she would have to have just been out in the crowd among the people waiting for the ministry to come out.
1: Yep. Um, I, I, I know she's bold. I don't know that she'd try something with literally 20 ministry officials that are a little trigger happy at the moment.
0: Well, that and the death, like... Death Eater's Mark. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm going to steer away from where it's death, <laughs> but I'll comment about it later yeah. and make up comments I think she about was perfectly
1: it. fine staying in her natural writer form. Uh-huh. Um, and if you heard my um, deep dive on the 2014 Quidditch World Cup, she's still writing for the Prophet, and she had a gossip column for that World Cup. So she was present at that World Cup as well. I'm, uh, again, assuming that she had a press credential for that, which shouldn't be hard for her to get. Yeah. But yes, uh, she definitely has abilities to make her <laughs> to make her to help uh, her buzz around yeah, to make her writing a little bit more a little bit more fruitful mm-hmm. so uh, but obviously you get a sense of her sensationalist writing right, and she's clearly trying to form opinions and rile up certain other opinions. She's very anti-establishment, anti establishment anti ministry.
0: It's interesting that the wizarding world also has this problem. Because, I mean, we definitely do in the muggle world of, you know, sure, we can present facts as facts, but we can also present opinions as facts, and then people believe it to be true, and go off and believe very, very dangerous things. So, she's definitely someone who would thrive in the muggle world with that.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, I think it's certainly meant to mirror our our own world in a sense Mm -hmm. and kind of comment on (laughs) the whole fake news of it all yeah and and what is real and what's not and which media sources can you trust and which media sources can you not trust and how
0: it like completely destroys people's lives as a result yeah Yeah. absolutely
1: and you'd like i think you mentioned it earlier with journalistic integrity Mm -hmm. you would like to believe that everyone who Gradu- well, the, the problem is, not everybody that's actually writing nowadays mm-hmm. has a uh, degree in journalism. Right. You get bloggers, you get vloggers, you get well, all that kinds of Well, that too,
0: things. plus there isn't actually, like, like, yeah, journalists have a code of ethics, but legally there isn't a way for them to be, like like i mean there's libel
1: is very hard to actually prove right
0: like you have the first amendment of course and that offers a lot of protection and stuff so it's just it's a code that you have to swear by it's not necessarily something you legally are forced by and she can pull her loopholes she has her magical quill to help her out
1: i wonder if the wizarding world abides by some of those same standards yeah, it know. seems as though she's pretty widely known for being essentially just a gossip yeah. and like uh, uh, she spins a lot of different stories to whatever suits her best to get reads, to get clicks in today's culture. Yeah. Um, but well, then
0: at the same time, like, I mean, when she writes, um, you know, Dumbledore's biography, it's like, everyone takes it at word. And for Harry, it's really hard to, to read something that is so, Opposite of what he knew of Elvis Dumbledore. There
1: she claims to have a pretty darn good source, though. Yeah. And she names that source. Which is
0: funny because then it's like, okay, you've gone all this time of being sensationalized, making things up, and then you're like, I have the facts. She like, cites uh, where she got her uh, info yeah. from
1: there. Yeah. Which is a little different. Yeah. Here she's, I mean, making stuff up. But there she's like, no, I'm getting this all from... Well, yeah,
0: you put your point of like, she goes from a sensationalized news gossip column queen to like hardcore biographer about albus dumbledore of all people like it's a bit of a the switch in your tone
1: she goes through a little bit of a journey
0: yeah uh
1: but yeah not the last time we see her here <laughs> i think you had a sports betting note which i am stunned <laughs> to even utter those words Elizabeth has thoughts on sports betting.
0: Here we go. Okay, I'm laughing so much because Dan does do sports betting every now and then. So we know Fred and George, obviously, they did their bet and they won their bet. But in the chaos, you know, Ludo Bagman did not pay them what they deserved. So we saw at the end of the chapter when they're, you know, in the corner claiming that they're doing homework. They're not doing homework. They're writing their first letter to Bagman being like, hey, by the way that money you gave us not real it was goblin gold or sorry not goblin gold leprechaun gold could you please like pay us actual money and we know that's going to be their very first letter out of many over the course of the book because ludo does not have any money to to pay them it's a problem
1: no ludo uh has his own gambling problem Mm -hmm. and he uh, has
0: done too many sports bets. He has done too many sports bets.
1: I don't even know how he had the money to even make as many as he seems to have made yeah. uh, that day. Um, and to the Twins' credit, they won a big one. I mean, th- well, a big one for most people. 37 gallons is big.
0: The odds were definitely like not in their favor. And that they won.
1: That's what Ludo thought. Honestly, I get their logic quite a bit mm-hmm. with their sports bet. Mm-hmm. Um that Ireland would get up to such a big lead that Crumb would just want to end it, which can make sense.
0: Would you have made that bet?
1: Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> if I knew Ireland had the the chasers and, would and you the best seeker in the world,
0: bet as much money as Fred and George did. The
1: only other bet I would maybe make is Crumb catches a snitch within like a certain amount of time.
0: So would you have done your life savings on it? No,
1: I'm not I'm not <laughs> betting my life savings on it. Absolutely not. Um, but, bold bet by the Twins. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that they made that bet with Ludo Bagman, because...
0: That man is not paying them back.
1: No. I wonder what his salary is for being the department head of sports and games. I'm sure yeah. he got a nice payday for hosting that event.
0: Even though he did no real work when he was there. I mean, I'm sure... Like, I know he did work to, like, set it up and whatever, but... I mean, he seems the kind of guy who was like, his job in the room was to keep everybody happy and enjoyable and make the time go by. Whereas Barty Crouch was the one who was actually doing the business aspect of this, setting things up internationally. Ludo was just like, let's have fun!
1: (laughs) They were uh, definitely two sides of the same coin to make that thing go. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, fudge, apparently
0: non-existent and doing less work than either of them so i i I don't know but um,
1: (laughs) just blasting fudge recently it's fine uh but yeah we'll we'll see what happens with the twins and all of their uh lack of money something might happen towards the end of this book that changes their fortunes who knows
0: very conveniently yeah
1: um but Uh, Yeah. Uh, Anything else for the spoilers?
0: Um, Just how we know like I mean yeah Molly is obviously freaking out because there's the dark mark and there's the fear of something happening but we know in um, Order of the Phoenix how her worst fear is seeing her family die. So I really feel for Molly in this chapter. She had to have had like a hellish night just waiting for them to get back because any of them really could have died.
1: Well especially with you know, she knows her husband is involved in ministry leadership.
0: And he's the kind of guy who is going to get involved and he's to help the people. Kind of guy.
1: And um
0: Percy's gonna get involved just because he's gonna feel important about it.
1: Yes. <laughs> and Bill and Charlie are not exactly the kind that goes away right. from danger. They'll they'll run headlong into it as well. So
0: And Harry Potter's kind of an important person.
1: Kind of an important person. Uh, well, the, he's not a even, very
0: special boy. Dan.
1: <laughs> I don't know where you got that from. No, but that aside for a second, she's still responsible for two other
0: right children that, was,
1: that right. aren't hers, right. which has a whole other level of responsibility to it. Right,
0: um, and she feels for them in that
1: way too. Uh, sure, uh, she's kind of taken them under her wing, but mm-hmm. you know how how does that happen if you're like going to
0: Imagine the letter she would have had to write to Tersley's and how many stamps it would have had. (laughs) on it. Your son got killed at a broomstick game.
1: (laughs) I I imagine that's an in-person conversation.
0: I feel like they would take that envelope and they would frame it.
1: (sighs) Oh, God, that's a loaded conversation. Vernon might. I don't know that Petunia would. (laughs) I I think Petunia would feel a certain kind of way about it.
0: Yeah. But that's a so.
1: big spoiler conversation for <laughs> for another for day. For another maybe. day. But um no, that would be a hard hard conversation for Molly to have if one of oh, those Oh, she she'd two, feel horrible. Um, there'd be
0: no getting over that guilt.
1: Between going to the Grangers and having to explain that to them or yeah. by having to have an interesting conversation with Sirius. She knows her family and she knows what they would be willing to do in those certain moments of fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and to all of the Weasleys credit, they are, they are, they're the brave Gryffindors are kicking in. You and know?
0: again, I mean, she does have her clock. Maybe it was going to mortal peril or some other terrifying option. Danger
1: or yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know? So with that, we'll probably end the discussion here. Uh, let us know what you thought on the polls. Let us thought. Um, let us know what you thought on some of our conversations on Mrs. Weasley's uh, berating of Ron. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what uh, any of your thoughts are. Um, also, let us know if you go back and check out Sorcerer's Stone and, and if you like some of those new intros that yes. we did. Um, so check those out and we'll be back with Chapter 11 next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at pod.